Well, we may not be as jacked as Natalie Portman, but we're here to talk gibberfish, aren't we, Dom? Yep, we can only aspire to be Chadme. <laughs> Chadme. You're a few good ones, actually. Twitter's been pretty good with the, the nicknames for Swole and Natalie Portman. I, I mean, I've been trying to stay off Twitter because as at time of recording, this is, is it Monday. I'm going to go and see Doctor Strange on Wednesday, so I've been staying off Twitter because with all... Marvel films. There's going to be some twists and turns that you don't expect, so I've been trying to keep myself spoiler-free. I haven't even watched any trailers past the first teaser. Yeah, I haven't seen much for Multiverse Madness. I, to be fair, I didn't see the first Doctor Strange, so it's not really in my wheelhouse. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I, it looks a bit more nuts than... The, I mean, I saw the, the trailer for it when I went and saw the last lot of films in the cinema. But I didn't really appreciate how much they're going into the absolute crazy part of Doctor Strange. And how it's going to be used to bring certain characters into reality, I guess. And the fact that they're um, bringing in, so they brought in Sam Raimi to direct, so like Evil Dead, Spider Man, Sam Raimi. So you know it's going to be, yeah, feast for the eyes. And it's also going to, from what I've been told, it kind of plays out like a a horror film. Right. Be worth a shot. Well, that's what I quite like about the we talked about the what if from uh, Doctor Strange. From the, the yep. animated series, is the idea that Doctor Strange is, you know, he's kind of poking and prodding at some dark, deep pools of uh, <laughs> temporal water that might have some monsters in them that you really don't want to let out. Yeah. I guess it's it is also just... pointed out at the end of uh, No Way Home when, like, you realize he can actually rip apart the fabric of reality and bring out some real evil shit. Yeah. And is now starting to do that pretty consistently. Yeah, obviously we've all seen No Way Home. He just kind of goes, "Yeah, I'll, I'll casually tear apart reality so that this kid can forget, or this kid make the world forget that he's Spider Man." <laughs> Which I'd say, like, I, I initially felt kind of foolish thinking it was, uh, it was going to be like that. There was going to be like a kind of gotcha, like he was just going to be fucking with Peter and then just like slap him in the face. And went, no, I'm not actually going to do that for you. But then you realize, no, actually, he might. He would do that for a friend. And then that yeah. makes him interesting, because that makes him really dangerous. But where would you, uh, like, as far as Doctor Strange is concerned, is he, obviously he's very powerful, so there's very few beings that could give him consequences, you know, be like, hey, you're out of line. Do you think that's going to happen? I think what this film is going to be dealing with is there is a group of people, I think there's the, the Watchers, like there's a group of those guys that deal with any kind of tampering at time space, like in the comics, there's the, there's the, the kind of like the overseers almost. I can't remember their names, but any kind of people who abuse magic and stuff like that, they would deal with it. So, like, like I don't really know a ton about Doctor Strange because he was he was a cool character, but he didn't really show up a whole hell of a lot in comic on my comic reading when I was younger. So, I don't know many of his villains. The most I've really delved into Doctor Strange was the film, the first film, which was really good. Uh, and, like, sorry, playing as Doctor Strange in the Marvel vs. Capcom games, that's about as far as I go in <laughs> with Doctor Strange. Yeah, it's uh, it's a weird one. And it, you notice that with uh, that and uh, Shang-Chi, that they're actually, they're bringing magic into this, which is kind of weird. Yeah. But... They, they, they established it by saying, like, all this could happen, obviously, that they, they 
try to do it with technology. Like, let's let's have this all, you know, Tony Stark basically. The first one of the first big enemies, Ultron, was something that Tony Stark made. They tried to kind of keep that grounded, but now they're just kind of going, "Now let's go boss the wall with this. Let's go, let's go fucking insane." Quite frankly, <laughs> bring in magic and let's bring in the multiverse. I mean, the multiverse. As an undertaking, is insane to try and bring it. Yeah, like DC have done it in the sense that they have different kind of pockets of the main universe. Like they'll have the main universe with like the Justice League. Fucking hell, I am yawning like shit today. Uh, they have the main universe with the Justice League, like what was Ben Affleck's Batman. Then they'll have the spin-off universe with Matt Reeves' Batman. And then they'll have the TV universe, and they'll all count as different numbered universes. So they've kind of done it that way. Whereas Marvel are trying to do it all within. Like one film and not try and cast like oh this is Barry Allen from Earth Two and this is Barry Allen from Earth Thirty Five but they're both the same actor like Marvel tried to do it a different way by saying here Tony Stark played by Robert Downey Jr and here's Tony Stark played by Tom Cruise yeah. trying to do it on a kind of a bigger scale because I thought that was it's funny to compare it to like the start of the the Marvel stuff where it was like no no the the Asgardians aren't gods are not magic they just their technology is so good they seem magical to us and yeah. now we have you know actual magicians showing up I, they started off saying that all the Asgardians were gods and like no they're just aliens that have better technology yeah they're just so out of our league that we uh we can't really compare to them I guess we should probably bring up uh, I mean outside to talk about the Thor trailer big half big Fan of the Thor trailer. Um, best use of Sweet Child of Mine ever, because I hate that yeah. song. Yeah, I think being chosen of the 90s is in our brains, but not in a good way. It is every just twat with a guitar. So many times. Yeah. That, especially the opening riff. Like, okay, we get it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, who is, who's doing a montage? Like, what old 90s film am I watching? Yeah. <laughs> oh, and uh, also, we should probably talk about the fact that George Perez died. He's a DC yeah, and Marvel, a, that, yeah, DC and Marvel comics alum. He wrote the Infinity Gauntlet story, which inspires the entire first run of the MCU. Uh, he wrote. Uh, I think he. I don't know if he drew, but he. I don't know if he drew and wrote for, but he drew some of the original Teen Titans run, like the Teen Titans, the the Judas Contract book, which is the like one of the very first instances of Deathstroke being in the DC comics. So if you just look through this guy's library of art and his uh, his art his uh, like catalog of text and stuff like that, you see this guy has just paved the way for so many good books. He's worked for both sides, DC and Marvel. Uh, it's just like a proper legend of uh, comic books. And it comes not long after we lost another DC Comics heavy hitter and uh, Neil Adams, who if you think of the classic prototypical Batman, like with the the grey suit, like the kind of the large, like bulky physique, he drew that. Neil Adams, he basically revolutionised Batman, quite frankly. Uh, so it's gonna, it's been a bit of a tough week or tough month for uh, the comic world. Yeah, especially when you think about how long these guys have been around. Like these are, I mean, George Price is dying way too young. Uh, I think he was like fifty-seven. 67. 67. Even then, still way too young. Still too young, yeah. But if you consider that's maybe 30 to 40 years of his career, that's your life, you know, that could be your entire life, easily. Um, could be occupied by this band's writing. And it's, that sticks around for a while. 
So yeah, yep. it's uh, it's a shame. Uh, you kind of you feel bad for the, everybody who's kind of looking at that, and you know he's now looking at their bookshelf, going, "Ah, shit, sorry, George, didn't get to finish all your stuff." You know, because uh, that's one of the, the best feelings you can have. You get to meet someone who wrote something that inspired you, and you just say thank you for it. It's really a great feeling. And he was massive in the convention circuit as well. He like he would have spots at a. Uh, local conventions like New York Comic Con things like that where he would just go and meet people dressed as his character stuff like that he was he, would, he was determined to do stuff like that and he would uh, he, I think he was one of the still one of the uh, the writers and sorry, artists and stuff that if you sent him stuff he would sign it and send it back to you with extra stuff with it so he was he was always active and he was always kind of like, in there like doing his bit for the community as well as doing these you know wonderful books that are Still continuing to be relevant today. Like uh, he, he wrote the original Crisis on Infinite Earths, like one of the biggest tie-in books for DC, which showed, uh, like all the universes colliding into each other and making the one core DC universe. Like, he did that in obviously Infinity Gauntlet, uh, and he's also there's some characters that he created himself, like uh, with the Teen Titans. I think he he was the one who introduced Tim Drake. Uh, for in Teen Titans, and he he was just one of those people that everything he touched was something spectacular. So yeah, it's going to be a going to be a pleasure going through George Perez's back catalogue and just reading what's there because there's some big books to be read. It's mostly impressive that somebody can handle writing at massive scale, like the the Infinity Gauntlet, the Crisis on Infinite Earth. You know, handling massive, uh, heavy, like huge concepts, like big sci-fi blockbuster ideas but then at the same time you give him the chance to write a small character not like a small character but like a character that's so kind of detailed and gritty is like tim drake an idea that you yeah. get those little like small character what's idea you could write both from the same guy is kind of really versatility was was his, his uh, name whereas neil adams was he was kind of his he was famous for doing one key thing he was very famous for batman and doing like the you've probably seen it like the 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 Joker with the massive toothy grin and the green hair, the kind of business suit looking Joker, that was what Neil Adams was famous for, really. And George Perez just had his like bits of everything. Like he was in Deathstroke, Justice League, he did some Nightwing for the New Fifty Two, uh Supergirl, like he was all over the place, man. And I think it his departure leaves the the grand landscape of comic books a little bit dumber. Imagine looking at some of uh, Neil Adams' artwork here. Really interesting, really good, like, colors and shadows as well. Um, also, beyond Jacked Batman, like, holy shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is interesting designs. Guy really knows, like, he, it's just different from what I, I think of when I think of Batman, but it's just because it's more stylized than everything else that I've seen. Yeah, and one of, the, uh, one of the most important people just in comic books in general, because he is the guy that fought for uh, the creator of Superman. To get credit in comic books and in films, oh, yeah. by, so, uh, based Peter on Siegel the and Joe Shuster, by... like, he fought like shit to get th those guys recognition. Hmm. It's always good when somebody like that has like a not just like a, a personal touch or like the, the the quality of the work, but they end up with like an industry impact role as well. Hmm. You could say, hey, not only did he achieve all this, but when it came down to representing his team at the table. This is what he did for the community, the team, the the business, the industry. 
that's always kind of yeah. impressive to hear as well. Yeah. And it, it was that kind of person that's just, you know, one of our own is you know, getting screwed out here. Let's pull together. And I think he pulled together a massive team of people to kind of rally around uh, Siegel and Schuster, which I think might have included George Perez. Because Neil Adams, he'd been going since, well, he was 80 when he passed away. So I think he was in that industry for a good 50 odd years, just drawing stuff and, you know, writing things and just breaking ground with DC Comics and Marvel Comics. Like he, this is this is how prolific Neil Adams was. He drew that. I mean, it might not be iconic for you, Colin, but iconic picture of Superman fighting Muhammad Ali. That was Neil Adams that drew that. I'm gonna go. That, find came, out that, really a, that came out in a time when Muhammad Ali was considered a superhero as well. So I was like, "Fuck it, let's make him fight Superman," because that's a fair fight. That actually looks really good, especially with the wider. Uh, the, there's a wide crowd shot as well. That I've mm. seen. I'm not sure if it's actually. Yeah, that looks really good. You want that on a poster? Yeah. It's better than... Uh, we talked about an anime called Baki before. Yeah, I I tried to watch that a couple of times. It just looks so weird. It's not... Uh, if you don't like it, I get it. It's not for me either. But it, I've watched two seasons of it. Um, But yeah, they have Muhammad Ali show up. And it's actually a key character in the, the plot is Muhammad Ali's son. Um, all right. And it's... It's just really weird. Like you're wondering how they're going to handle the fact that you know towards the end of his life he was really showing, uh, like the shakes from Parkinson's and like how they're mm. going to handle that, and it was not handled gracefully. Let's put it that way. Um, and just like this weird character of like, oh yeah, also on in the midst of all this underground fighting tournament, they all respect Muhammad Ali as an artist, but not as a martial artist. He more kind of dabbles with you know the secret sciences, whereas his son. He's like, no, I, I've turned this boxing thing into a killing art. And you're like, what the shit are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. I do the same thing, but this time I'm going to punch through your face. And he does it. And you're like, okay, cool. But, but why? <laughs> why though? Um, yeah, Baki is insane. But uh, it's it's just the way that, you know, you can handle a character as, this, you know, as revered and as important historically as Muhammad Ali. I don't know if yeah. you ever see uh, clips of him, like just him talking to people in the ring. Um, at like pre-fight uh, press conferences, there's a dude who refuses to call him Muhammad Ali and keeps referring to him as Cassius Clay, which is his uh, Christian name. Obviously, yeah, Muhammad Ali convert, converted to Islam, took an Islamic name, and fought under that. And everyone's like, no, no, no. People are like, no, he's Cassius Clay. And you're like, that's the, that's the wrong thing to say to the man who's about to spend the next 20 minutes beating the fuck out of you. Yeah. Because now it's personal. Now you fucked up. Described as having one of the deadliest punches in boxing at that time. Yeah, sure, go ahead, piss him off, see what happens. Yeah, talk, talk shit, get hit. <laughs> yeah, Extreme Rules Edition. Ah, <laughs> uh, that and uh, obviously nobody talks shit about Tyson, but uh, Tyson Fury, uh, not Tyson Fury, uh, Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson's been on a tear recently. I keep seeing him in different places. He's a lot of fun. Uh, especially now he's older and wiser, but still has that kind of spark in him. But like, that little bit of crazy keeps leaking yeah. out. And you're like, yes. <laughs> I still got that bit of that bit of mongrel. Like, you know, he's going to keep the heat, but at the same time, he will eat the living shit out of you in the most legal way possible. Well, we all saw that photo. I think we no, actually, we didn't talk about this. It was him on the plane, and it was a guy who was behind him talking shit constantly, and he told him to fuck off. <laughs> And then he did not fuck off. And in accordance with the rules, you talk shit, you get hit. Yeah, it's Muhammad. It is Muhammad Ali. It's, <laughs> it is Mike Tyson reaching over the over the back uh, of his chair and wailing on this guy. And it is like, yeah, you know, 
you probably deserved it. Because having seen interviews and stuff with Mike Tyson, that part of him is buried deep. And if you have to keep poking and prodding and scratching at him to get to it, you've had your fair chance. You've had your warnings. You fucked up. Yeah. He's, he's dealt with those dealt with those demons. If you're pissing him off to the point where he you know, brings that out, it's your own fault. There's a, there's an interview with him. I can't remember who he's being interviewed by, but he asks, uh, the interviewer asks, uh, asks Mike Tyson, what do you think Consumado did to you to make you into who you are? To make you into the, the world's deadliest, the world's baddest man? And he honestly looks at you, like tears in his eyes, and he's like, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I, I, I just, I know who I was. I don't recognise that guy anymore, but I don't know how I got there. And you're like, oh shit, that's scary. <laughs> he has very little control over what's going on here. Um, or he, he had at that time. But now he's he's mellowed out, he's, he's nice older, he's um, very fun to listen to. Because obviously, when you get to a certain age, and you, when you have access to the sheer amount of wealth, and insane, you know, whatever he wanted, like there was nothing was off limits for him. The, the stories you get out of a life like that are amazing. I mean, the guy owned tigers at one point. Yeah. It's just, it's my favourite, like, Joe Rogan clip of interview of him. It's just him being like, what are you doing there? And he's like, I don't know, why did, why did I buy tigers? <laughs> I think I bought them just to have them. <laughs> Somebody said, I can get a tiger? And I was like, hell yes. <laughs> I, can, I can contribute to that more privately owned tigers bullshit. Ah. <laughs> uh. But yeah, um, somehow at some point we were supposed to talk about Thor. By the way, I don't know when that happened. But um, yeah. I mean, it was meant to happen, but then we got sidetracked, as as happens on this podcast. As is I mean, if you show up, if you show up listening to this podcast expecting a coherent thought taken from A to Z, then I'm just going to ask you to leave. Like, <laughs> this is not the podcast for you. <laughs> this is not. Uh, this is not a high thought podcast. Speaking of from A to Z, Angst and Zigzag are two new tracks from Ramstein. Like that All right, I thought we were talking about Thor, but yeah, we can go. Okay. We can go to <laughs> it's a trailer. It's, yeah, looks good. It sells me it's a film. A trailer. It's what it, it's supposed it to do. <laughs> it didn't grab me immediately. I'm slightly worried about how they're going to do Gore the God Butcher, but fuck it, Ramstein. Yeah. Um, so a new album came out uh, from them, and it's I've had a few listens to like a few of the tracks. It sounds pretty good to me. Uh, I, my main thing I want to talk about, if you get the chance, go to YouTube and watch the videos for Zigzag, which is about plastic surgery. And angst, which is about you know the ever growing shit show that is the internet and how it affects your personal and private lives. Hmm. Two fantastic videos. Although for some reason I thought the the opening to Zika Zach was the them naming like the seven deadly sins. Turns out no, it's them like saying uh, like bigger, faster, stronger, better, tougher, tighter. You know, it's just plastic surgery stuff. But it, for some reason it just sounded like the the seven deadly sins. Even though there's only six of them, so you know, not, right. not exactly my proudest moment. Um, but yeah, I, I think especially the video for Angst, I find it be really like their videos have always been top tier. Um, I remember, remember uh, Links two three four. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah I remember that being on Kerrang every twenty minutes back in the day. And uh, Sona, the the one for the dwarves and the, the Snow White. Have you seen the uncensored version of that? Uh, not in ages. They're snorting gold dust like cocaine. Oh fuck! I, <laughs> I caught it once because we do like uh, like music stuff with the family where we just like we just turn YouTube music on and everybody just sets like fires the tracks into like a playlist, and uh, oh. we put on uh, Sona, and it's like, 
did she just snort gold? <laughs> <laughs> we take the video back and sure enough, there's her doing a line of gold off a plate, and you're like, that that was never there, right? We're we're not like forgetting this from like childhood. <laughs> like, no, they must have taken it off. Like it's, it's way too close to cocaine. It must have been uh, removed by sensors. At the but uh, yeah, there's like a seriously high quality. Like uh, obviously the video for uh, Firefly uh, kind of doesn't really count because it's used for uh, the Triple X movies with Vin Diesel. Yeah. Um, even though Which I continually off. forget or even a thing. Like I, I went downstairs recently and I seen some fo- seen my folks watching it. And it genuinely confused me for about a good two minutes as to what the hell they were watching. I'm like, it's Vin Diesel. <laughs> and it's Samuel Jackson's there. Is this a Fast and the Furious that I haven't seen? <laughs> Which could happen. I've only seen two. Like, what the fuck is this film? Then it came up Triple X. I'm like, all right, the world makes sense again. Oh yeah, that thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that thing that was there in the, the early two thousands, along with so many other fucking things. They made a third one of that. I'm pretty sure. Because I know they had they the second, second one. Film? The second one was like Ice Cube. Oh yeah, I remember that. Ah uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pr- I'm relatively sure there was a third one. I need to check it out, but I, I'm pretty sure I've seen it actually, and just totally blanked out in my mind. It was like that bad, um, because they bring back Vin Diesel after the end of the first one. I'm like, hey, but you can't. We we saw what happened. <laughs> no, bro, it was a fake the whole time. You ah know, oh, shit. Ah, <laughs> oh, we're pulling the bullshit out. Okay, okay. I I can understand the writing of this movie. Um, it's what writing. <laughs> um, the director just said do cool shit then went and went into his trailer and drank <laughs> so, say I'm more bike jump that more bike <laughs> like use it to jump stuff no just jump over it I'll set it on fire it'll be cool as shit <laughs> yeah and you're gonna get into your Chevrolet cause Chevrolet are sponsoring this movie then you're gonna drive into a burning building and not leave it <laughs> when that kill us doesn't matter we'll fake it in doesn't CG matter. it'll look awesome we'll fix it in the edit <laughs> Um, he might die. I don't care. Wait. Guns for bitches, bro. You bitch. <laughs> you gonna die? Oh, you gonna die like a little baby? <laughs> I saw the different director being on set about, oh, you gonna die in a fire like a little baby? Ah, <laughs> uh, anyway, Ramstein. Ramstein. <laughs> totally said right, but yeah, really liking the album so far. I've not heard all of it all the way through, um, but yeah, it is. So far, really, really, really good. They're always consistently good at, uh, you know, their, their videos as well as the music quality is fantastic. I'm like, I yeah. don't know why though, because when you think, when you listen to it, it seems quite simplistic. But there's just something about the way they arrange it all that just comes across as just perfect. One thing I realized, realized about uh, Rammstein after listening to them, a couple of records, uh, a couple of songs off the, the new record, Rammstein were never heavy in terms of like, you know, the the unclean vocals and then just like the driving kind of dirty guitar sound they were always just kind of a bit more melodic and it's now it's now becoming more apparent that that was always the style that they were going for and I just somehow in my head thought all right these guys are like proper you know heavy as all hell metal it did slip us by like it just you just assume because everything else is heavy like that their their style is very heavy but it's yeah. industrial it's not like heavy metal it's a weird one it, it totally slips because like the, the Angst video has like a bit more of a kind of growl from uh, Till yeah. Lindemann. That's the singer. Yeah, I was going to say his his vocals haven't really changed because usually get because I think he's he'll be getting on in the years. Not I'm saying he's at death door or anything like that, but usually get the the vocal style changing. But he's going to maintain that kind of 
like the same level of singing. You know, I had to change or adapt his vocal style in years. He's 59. Well, you're not too shabby for 59. But yeah, I think because he, he's not screaming, he's not really using his throat that much. He yeah. must, it's obviously, it's a very kind of like from the the gut, it's very deep. Uh, and obviously, if that's just his natural voice kind of doing half the work for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he might be able to preserve that for a lot longer, which is why Ram sounds consistent sound-wise from the original stuff to like now, which is impressive. Actually, you introduced me to something I wasn't expecting. Uh, it was the uh, I've forgotten the name of it, but it's the Trivium guitarist Matt Heafy has a new project. Oh shit! Uh, is it Ronan? The song's called Ronan. Yeah, the song's called Ronan. I should probably be able to pull up the uh, the video for it. Uh, Ibaraki. Ibaraki, yes. Yeah. That that was that was interesting. Uh, I was not expecting Gerard Way to be able to scream like that. Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was like okay, he's putting the whole Mike Emko romance Black Parade bullshit behind him, and he's just doing some. He's trying something new, and I don't think it works. You say you do think it, or don't think it works? Do think it works, yeah. Okay. I was going to say, I, I, I was convinced. <laughs> it's, uh, it's something I think you could probably hit that range of, like, getting to that really high-pitched uh, black metal screaming that you could do quite easily. But at the same time, like, I don't know how big the audience would be for that, especially from him. Because, um, as you say, like, he has a whole massive chapter of his life is My Chemical Romance, The Black Parade, The Eyeliner, The, the Bleach Bond Hair, the thousands of like underage fans screaming at him for every concert. You, it's a very hard transition from that to no guy. Seriously, I'm a real black metal uh, musician. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, like you get him on an album with Ishar uh, from Emperor, and I think Nurgle is supposed to be on another uh, track. Yeah. Later on in the album, so I'm like, how? I, I'm not sure what dark magic might he worked to get them all in the same room together. But I'm impressed that he pulled. And I think he's one of those people that's just worked in the industry for so long. People are, he doesn't really have to do much to get people to work with him. He just kind of phones up people. Like, I imagine that's what, how most of the metal industry works. Hey, you want to do a record with me? Yep, yeah, sure. So, I mean, I was listening to a song that Sepultura made during lockdown, and Devin Townsend appears and does vocals on it. I was like, cool. <laughs> I can appreciate that. Wait, is it like new Sepultura or like Cavalier Brothers back in the day? Oh, this is Derek Green, Sepultura. Ah, okay, right. I was trying to forget. I was like, I don't think he did anything with them. But no, okay. It's the, the generation of stuff I've missed from them. Yeah. Is the new this stuff is... any good from Sepultura? Uh, it's a decent song. I haven't heard much else from Sepultura. But yeah, the, the one track that I've heard oh. from recent uh, outings is pretty good. Yeah. Because there, uh, there was a period, obviously, when you, you take over the band, you kind of take over the back catalogue. People kind of mm. still expect that back catalogue to be used in live shows, and you're like, uh, buddy, uh, you should not be playing that. That's not your song. It's not really your style. I wouldn't really do that one live. <laughs> but at the same time, you have no other option, because you know, people paying for a Sepultura concert want to see that song list. And, you know, for legal reasons, the Cavalier Brothers probably can't do most of it on set. Yeah. But yeah, there's like... Uh... <laughs> Kind of a nightmare situation of I'm stuck with the old the new the old fans hating my new ass, and I have to play their old favorite song, and I'm not going to be the same as what they want. You could even be better. You're not the same though. So get it's fucked. Kinda, I guess it's kind of like what happened with Killswitch Engage. Everyone yeah. wanted them to be more like uh, Howard, but uh, Jesse Leach just doesn't have the have that range. Yeah, and at the same time, when uh, Howard left, Howard joined. They wanted to be more like Jesse Leach. Yeah. 
yeah anyway. we never we're never gonna understand that about ourselves that we always do the same bullshit every time something like this happens yeah i mean prime example i just watched doctor who with every new doctor people are just like oh man i miss the old guy well give the new guy a shot do you really want matt smith to be doing david tennant shit give the new guy a shot and I'd say that about the, the new is doctor. Give him a shot. So I'll say. Yeah, the He's Scottish as well. So. Yeah. But can you pronounce his name? No. No. <laughs> He's an interesting name. I can't figure out what the exact pronunciation of it is, but yeah, I'd say give him a go. There's nothing wrong with just a new bit of change. You might find something better that you didn't appreciate before. Um but yeah, I think it's um just we just don't like change. Which is nah. why I spent today listening to Amon Earth versus the World. One yep. of the best albums I've ever listened to, and I forgot how good it was. <laughs> it's an absolute classic. And uh, but I sent a screenshot of the album artwork to my brothers, and I was like, oh, I forgot how good this album was. And I was like, not, not feeling it today. Might listen to that on the way to the gym. Like, do it. Prepare to lift the entire gym with one hand, but do it. I'll, I'll say that again. Jesus. <laughs> I usually find myself doing that with, like, a lot of older records like i'll go back to i listened to funnily enough uh, sort of rising it's just like oh, i remember seeing this band i remember seeing all of these songs live when i went to see them the first and only time i ever went to see a monomart and that kind of led me into this kind of wormhole where i was like like going back and listening to uh, come clarity by in flames and uh, the akuma afterglow by uh, soil work and I was like, okay is this what we're going to do today and yeah <laughs> that is exactly what i did that day and i did not regret spending three hours listening to the old metal i say old metal like early 2000s mid 2000s <laughs> metal yeah somebody out there a little older than us possibly canadian saying uh hey fuck you guys <laughs> yeah those those were new bands back in my day back when i was with a beard thing <laughs> so versus the world by monomarth the album playlist death and fire from the stab wounds in our backs where silent gods stand guard versus the world across the rainbow bridge then the slopes of death, thousand years of repression, bloodshed, and soon the world will cease to be. And then you get into the, the bonus ones, death and fire, basically the entire album live. Yeah, it's basically the entire album again, but live. That is an absolute monster soundtrack. Because I'm pretty sure the live uh, from the remasters is like whacking open air festival. Yeah. Because they're always there. So, yeah absolute killer playlist so yeah that's going on tomorrow and i'm going to the gym and everyone better run that's all i'm gonna say <laughs> <laughs> there will be no survivors i'm stepping in you know what i'm listening to shit <laughs> may happen <laughs> I, I obviously it's uh we've gotten to that kind of quiet point in the year where all the the new year people have dropped off they stayed around a decent amount longer than i thought they would i'll give them that they were still there in march some of them looked oh. a bit skinnier Pretty impressive, well done, lads. Pat yourself on the back. Uh, and now we're into the summer phase where we've had a, a, like a month and a bit that's been kind of quiet, like six weeks of pre-quiet, uh, like gym time. And now we're into like the the gym bros uh, getting their, their their pump on. So you've got the the dudes walking in with like the fake big back because you see like the really big guys can't move their arms properly, <laughs> like not like bodybuilder big, like that type of big. Uh, or Mr. Olympia big, where they all just kind of puff out the shoulders a bit. Like, nobody actually, nobody in this gym has that shape or that size of back muscle yet. Yeah. Yeah, you don't People need to do People are working at it, but they haven't quite got it yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
nobody's even close, bro. <laughs> yeah. And you walk around, you see people walk around the gym like, yeah, bro, got this. Can barely fit through the door. Because you're sticking your elbows out, you bitch. <laughs> it's that. Something I need to get back to doing. I need to get... Eh? Oh, you go. Uh, something I need to get back into the swing and just going to the gym or even just doing some kind of workout. Because I realised since I finished uni, I've just been doing nothing. Like I started replaying... As I, as I always seem to do, and uh, I think I've spoken about it here before, I like replaying my Resident Evils after I've done something, like, pretty tough. Mm-hmm. So I've been replaying that, realised the port of Resident Evil 5 that they put out in the Xbox and PlayStation 4 is a pile of shit. Uh, yeah. In the sense that uh, if you play split-screen, it all goes through one profile, so the second player basically just has to get the first player to do everything for them, and it crashes half the time. Yeah, that but, that's broken. Uh, <laughs> that's not a piece of yeah. shit. That's broken. <laughs> yeah, Capcom need to fix it. But the game's been out for about five, six years, so I doubt they're, I doubt they're going to fix it. Yeah. I realize I've kind of done fuck all. Maybe put on a bit bit more weight. So because I've not been at uh, rugby as well, I feel like I've just been wasting away a wee bit. So I need to get back into the swing and doing something, even if it's just doing the the haunted J word and you know going out and do some run. I found uh, I was doing the same thing where, like, even if I'm not able to make it to the gym, I, st- I just feel shit. Um, but I recommend bodyweight stuff. Mm. Very simple list of just, like, every day, first thing you do when you wake up in the morning, go, take a shit, whatever. Don't, don't, don't shit yourself doing these. But just 50 bodyweight squats, 50 push-ups, 50 sit-ups. Just moving yourself that much gets you up and moving. First thing in the morning and gives you a good start to the day. If you can go at the gym for work or whatever, go for it. Um, it's that's a really good boost, um, into the day. But beyond that, I just like something simple, just to get yourself moving, um, and doing it before you. Because I feel like once you sit down, you kind of commit to not doing anything anymore. Yeah, I think for me, it's the minute I sit behind the PC, I'm just thinking right. This is what I'm going to do today. I'm going to look for a job and do not much else. I'm yeah. just going to neglect and quite a lot else that I could be doing. Yeah, I'm going to going to look for a job. Fifty YouTube videos later. Oh shit! I look for a job. <laughs> <laughs> I I look for a job, just not in the right place. <laughs> oh, I typed in Steve Jobs and I watched the movie again. Damn it! <laughs> I did it again. <laughs> not I, much uh... that can make me watch that. Can film again. There's like five Steve Jobs uh, documentaries or like there's life the one stories. Like a Fastbender and Seth Rogen that I watched. Yeah, Seth Rogen and Steve Wozniak. I'm like, no, fuck off. No, <laughs> he was the best part of it. <laughs> I did not enjoy any other part of that film. I uh, I actually chose like recently to just stop being at my PC, all and just to do like recording stuff or to actually just you know, actually play video games on it. Um, and I just took myself through the the main like living room, and was like, no, I'm gonna if I'm gonna watch something, I sit at the sofa, or I'm gonna watch it on a laptop. I'm not gonna sit, and just it's too easy to just be lost in having like I got two screens. I'll have one that's being productive, watching YouTube, <laughs> and the other open with a Discord that's never really in use other than to record episodes, <laughs> or like reading through other stuff, or what like having a Netflix window open and adding more to the list of shit I'm not gonna watch. But I realised I had a lot of DVDs and stuff that I built up over time, and it wasn't until I I, I, I gave myself a, t- a stern talking to about buying community <laughs> DVDs, 
and not actually watching them. And I sat down and watched them, and I watched like two, and I went back and bought like ten more. <laughs> so I went, nope, I have to actually clear the playthrough of uh, stuff that I'm buying, because otherwise I'm just, I'm just stockpiling and hoarding shit that I'm not going to actually use. And it's just, it's a waste of time and money, and you're not actually getting out of it. You, you have a DVD collection, you have a Blu-ray collection or whatever, but you're not actually engaging with it, you're not doing anything about it. Yeah, it's, it's something I definitely had to do. I had to stop buying DVDs uselessly. And it kind of hit me around about the time we were talking about this off podcast, or off the recording, off mic, holy shit. Uh, we're talking about uh, the Marvel films. It was around about the time The Eternals came out on DVD, Blu-ray, that I realised, am I just buying all these to have them, or do I actually enjoy some of these films? Because mm-hmm. up to a certain point, yes, I do enjoy most of the Marvel films, but I didn't like Black Widow enough. It was good, unexpectedly good. I didn't enjoy it enough to go out and buy the Blu-ray, and I certainly did not enjoy the Eternal, any way, shape, or form. <laughs> and you know, the only one I'd be buying it of, in fact, the only Marvel film I bought at this phase is Spider-Man: No Way Home because that film is brilliant, and Shang-Chi was really good. But I was bored by that as well. Yeah, I get it. It's the it's the real Mandarin, and it's uh, you know really really good choreograph- uh, choreographed fights. Ultimately, it's not that groundbreaking a film. And then I was just kind of thought to myself, well, I don't buy it then. And that's why I stopped buying the DC Extended Universe films because I don't enjoy any of these movies. Like, fucking Aquaman is the biggest pile of shit you will ever watch. <laughs> it's such a bad film. I can't believe it's Jason Wan directing that. Yeah, James Wan. James Wan, sorry. <laughs> I don't know where I put Jason from. Um... Jason Momoa. Yeah, probably. Yeah, that is about right. <laughs> yeah, he he's he's good, and it Willem Dafoe's good. Film itself is just, eh, not good. I actually I need to give my uh, I've got the Snyder cut on Blu-ray. I'm going to give that to Malik here. If you want to watch it, go for it. <laughs> I'm not watching this I have, again. I have the 4K version of that. That's the one you watch. We uh we were supposed to discuss that, weren't we? At some yeah. point, we were supposed to do. We're, we're, You've said the word yawning so much that I'm now yawning. You fucking cunt. <laughs> <laughs> you made me yawn. <laughs> it's a self-destruction. <laughs> yeah, it's just this circle of self-sabotage. Uh, yeah, we were meant to be doing um, the, the uh, Satoshi Kon films, and I started on Tokyo Godfathers three times. Just don't enjoy it. Like, yeah, <laughs> I really don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy it. There's a discussion going on right now with uh, film criticism, or one that kind of popped back up again. Can you criticise a movie you didn't finish? And I would say you could, because the fact you couldn't sit through it is a form of criticism. <laughs> like, it was so bad, I couldn't finish it, is a way of saying, I did not enjoy this movie. I don't yeah. think that gives you the chance to give, like, a, say, I have the, the correct opinion on it, but I think you can definitely put, put out <laughs> the idea that this film was so unwatchable, I couldn't actually sit all the way through it. I wouldn't say that Tokyo Godfathers is unwatchable. It looks nice. Oh, no. It looks I, very I, nice. I'm speaking generally. Like, if you say that it was unwatchable, I'd be like, excuse me, sir. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we are sitting just, down with a bottle of whiskey and we're fixing this movie for you. Just, I didn't really care. Yeah, it, it's kind of hard to get into a, a story like that if you're not already up for it. 
Yeah, and also they just seem to pick on the one person. They pick on them unnecessarily. Like the, the, they keep calling them derogatory words for gay people, and I was like, that's. I get a film can be of its time, but yeah. let's not call them that, shall we? That and I'm not gonna lie, Japan has a very weird culture when it comes to certain things like that. Like it's just like the idea of being PC in Japan is just not a thing. Yeah, <laughs> it, it really isn't. And uh, I, someone that I know, their brother lived in Japan for several years, and uh, yeah, he he was constantly just torn to shreds for being the tall, lanky uh, guy from overseas. They made him do pretty racist things, like they would leave you know, see Jimmy hats and stuff on his table at work. Okay. Okay, clearly they don't have a grasp on PC culture over in Japan, but they lived on an island for years. They're weird. Yeah. (laughs) They lived isolated on an island for 200 years. And uh, yeah, that's an interesting way of forming a culture. But uh, it's where are we going with this? I don't know. Yeah, movies. <laughs> yeah, movies. We're talking about movies, and I was talking about how I couldn't sit through Tokyo Godfather. Yeah, um, I've got a bunch of stuff. I'm like, it's movies that I've watched. This animated stuff that like I was like, I'm not sure if I should bring them up, but just there's stuff here. I'm like, I could never ever show you these movies. <laughs> <laughs> they're just too boring i don't know what it is i hate rom-coms i hate soppy drama stuff but if mm. you animate it i'll watch it i have no idea why and i'll actually love it a lot of the time <laughs> my uh my new obsession i probably call it that um yeah. it's called uh, horror mia and it is a an animated series that's only like 12 episodes um, based on a manga that's like 16 volumes. Um, I went oh, and right. bought the digital manga for this one. And it is just mm. a a couple uh, a couple of like high school kids falling in love. And it's the nicest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> and I'm just all in on this and I have no idea why. But it's just a great cast, great characters. Uh, the English dub is fantastic. The animation's good. Um, reading the original uh, manga for it, or it was originally like a webcomic became a manga, and then was animated. Reading the manga for it, all the charm is still there. Like, the characters are still themselves, even though it's, you know, not voice acted, but you can still see certain things. You're like, oh, I remember that from the show. But at the same time, like, it's one of the things I'm like, I can't show this to anyone. No one I know is going to enjoy this. But yeah, like, Tokyo Godfather's a great example of, like, as much as we want the weird horror stuff from uh, Stoshi Kong, like, if he wants to make something that's reflective of, like, a weird kind of version of I always thought this was being like uh, Charles Dickens. Like, if it's not a Charles Dickens story directly, but if if he was mm. going to write something about losing kids and like homeless people helping find orphans and stuff like that in the middle of Tokyo, that's what it'd be like. There's something very a Christmas Carol about the whole thing. Yeah, I kind of took it as the like the uh, there's three of them, isn't there? Yes. Yeah, I kind of took it as a bit of a three wise men type of thing. Again, this this is my previous Christian background coming bleeding into the foreground. But yeah, I thought it was a kind of a take on the three wise men, except they find, you know, lost child. Mm. The real the real treasure is the friends we made along the way. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I I think if you just want to skip Tokyo Godfathers and you say I, I just tap out, I, I give in. <laughs> yeah. I I more than understand that. But uh, yeah, like the the. 
the idea that you can't say that about a movie and call yourself a critic is laughable. Like, yeah, you should probably sit through some... Like, I know you're not saying Tokyo Godfather is a shitty movie, but I think people who wa- who love cinema should sit through shitty films. Don't yeah. just watch the 10 out of 10s. Don't just watch the masterpieces. Especially if you want to make movies. Watch bad films. So you can yeah. learn what doesn't work. It's like the... Again, going back to... Uh, since we are talking about Japan, like the Japanese practice for cooking, like particularly in desserts and stuff like that, is to take a chocolate cake and make it deliberately acrid. Hmm. So that it's this overwhelming sweet taste. It's to make it just a little bit, you know, so you're not just getting this, you know, sugar, like kind of dull the sugar a wee bit, so you're actually getting a bit more of a flavor. So I think you what you said there, yeah. If you try to call yourself a critic for every, you know, the Batman, for every The Dark Knight Rises that you watch, you need to go and maybe watch Batman and Robin with Arnold Schwarzenegger, or you need to go and watch uh, Ang Lee's The Hulk, or <laughs> Ang Lee's Hulk. Yeah, I think you just need to go and force yourself through that. I was going to say, Dom, you can't just stop with the, the old Arnie films for Batman. you got to go watch. you got to go down to like the fan parodies that you find on YouTube at 3 in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> when YouTube just hits the weird button and lets you see the weird shit. But no, Ang yeah. the Hulk is worse than that, so yeah, go with that. <laughs> yeah. And if you really, really want to go down the horrible route, you go to the 1970s, 1980s, a direct-to-DVD Captain America film where they made the Red Skull Italian because they didn't want to piss off the Germans. <laughs> in ni- uh, Actually, I suppose 1980s, that part of Germany is still Russia. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just like the idea that but, the, the Hitler's right-hand man, effectively, in the, <laughs> in the thing was an Italian man. Like, that's not how that worked, bro. Yeah. They didn't want to piss off Germans. You're like, oh, the Italians take it like that. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? Throw spaghetti? Let's fuck off. Cut our heads off with steel pizza? Go <laughs> a lot of job bonus with pizza? But nah, I, they won't do that. I think there's real quality watching. I, I, I enjoy really bad movies, but at the same time, like, actually sitting down to think about, especially if you stop and think about what you just saw and you just write it down. Like, okay, this this pissed me off here. This is why. Like, this is, here's what didn't work. Here's what I want to see in the future. You know, that type of thing really helps you think about it. Yeah, I actually did that recently with uh, The Phantom Menace. Yeah. And I realised why I don't like that film. It's no. not because... Like, it's not... People say, oh, The Phantom Menace ruined it. It is a meme. It, quite frankly, it is a meme. But when you stop and watch that film, you realise it's not good for multiple reasons. The first one, Kid Anakin's a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Fuck that kid. Uh, secondly, why am I... There's so much discussion of politics. At one point, uh, Captain Panaka and Queen Amidala are just sitting in on basically a big conference meeting. And you have to just sit there going, can we go back to Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan? They're actually doing shit. Even at that, nine times out of ten, they're just sitting talking to people. There's only one really big lightsaber fight in the entire thing. And that is the only saving grace of that film is the Duel of Fates at the end. Mm-hmm. Apart from that, it's born as shit. Like, Darth Maul is a terrible villain. Yeah, he's just there. He, he looks kind of spooky, and he shows up with a twin side of the lightsaber. Ooh. Yeah, everybody wanted that back in uh, primary school, high school, whenever that fucking film came out. That would have been primary for us when it first came out. Yeah, ninety nine thousand. Yeah, I I just uh, think like the, the key thing you bring up there is it's so boring, and the majority of people who are like, "Hey, what do you think of that first Star Wars film?" And it's just I don't know. I don't like it. I don't remember it that well, and it's. It's all of that, 
and then oh yeah, I suppose the guy with the twin swords at the end is pretty cool. That's kind of the yeah. point. That the, the the issue there is there is like a two hour film and you don't remember anything but the last five minutes. Yeah. Nothing sticks out, nothing's memorable. There's a scene where they go to an underwater city and yet no one remembers that. Because it's yeah, so because, fucking boring. Because <laughs> it's preceded by one of the most uh, pedestrian hay milk toast chases. Because like, they're getting chased by a giant squid like cracking motherfucker. And it's just eh, like it's done so or it's <laughs> done so plainly, done so route one that you just they're gonna get out. Because well th- there's no stakes to it. They're clearly the main characters and we're a half an hour into this two hour movie. Yeah. This is not gonna be an issue for them. And of course there's the big, big elephant in the room, Jar Jar. I actually found myself fast forwarding every bit that he's spoken. Just <laughs> the exact lines of dialogue, just skipping over his bits specifically. <laughs> yeah, um, it sounds petty, but that's exactly what I thought. I was like, I don't want to hear this franchise ruining fuck talk. <laughs> How? And it actually, I mean, because I was planning to do a whole rewatch of Star Wars, like go from, you know, the, the very, you know, it's starting to get a bit more recognition now because people are saying, oh, maybe it's better than the the sequels. But episodes one, two, and three, not my cup of tea. Episode three redeems itself with the fight between Anakin and Obi-Wan, but apart from that, eh, not that good. Uh, 4, 5, and 6, untouchable, fucking perfect trilogy. Then it gets to 7, 8, and 9. It just goes in random twists and turns. <laughs> Episode 1 killed my rewatch. I was like, I'm not doing that. Because <laughs> I know uh, it's nine films, and only three of them are good. Only three of them are knockout that I want to watch. Yeah. And those were written and are very well self-contained as an original trilogy. That yeah. you can kind of ignore everything else. Yeah, I mean, I often think about this. And again, we're getting sidetracked here, but fuck it, who cares? How good would it have been if we didn't know what the Clone Wars was? We didn't know who Anakin Skywalker, Ken Padme, we didn't know who any of these fucks were, and we just had those three films. Yeah. And, you know, we could do spin-off shit. They do, you know, give Boba Fett, you know, a, a boxing ring or something. Better than what they gave him in fucking Book of Boba Fett. Let's make him a crime lord. Why? Explain that one. Because he's, he's, he's dark dead, and edgy. He's, he's a criminal. Yeah, he doesn't want to be a criminal anymore. He wants to. He wants to control who's going to hire bounty hunters because bounty hunters deserve a break. Blah blah fucking blah. Maybe I can turn my life around for my son. Oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> Django, like people have other motivations in life, other than yeah. their kids. How about that, American writers? Yeah. Fucking idiots. It's Disney's writers at this point. <laughs> fucking, what's her name? Kathleen Kennedy. She's she's just sitting on a pile of money being like, hmm, make it bigger. <laughs> she's just like, hmm, I'm going to make my pile of money bigger. Or oh, you're going to write a story about Boba Fett. Uh, we'll make him useless. And uh, is there a female in it? She's the badass. <laughs> it's Boba Fett. I have spoken. <laughs> I have decided the twist of your show. It will be glorious. <laughs> yep, the force is female. Remember that. I will... But I will pay you ten billion dollars to make it. And you're like, ah, fuck, I really want to make ah, it. Shit. <laughs> oh, ten billion from the mouse to make a show. If I skim, I guess I'll do one percent of the top off of that for myself. I will be so rich. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's just the like the Star Wars films. Just I just I I keep thinking about the, the sheer fucking nuts on George Lucas being like, no, no, no. 
I can tell the story without giving you the beginning. And we'll just skip yeah, to part worked. four. And it worked. <laughs> yeah. The ironclad testicles on that man. Because what George Lucas did is what Disney trying to do it and failing miserably. George Lucas gave you the three films and then said to other people, right, you're going to write about it. You're going to let people imagine what this was like. But you can't do anything before my movies. You can extend after my films. You can show what happens to Luke, Palpatine, uh, you can have Anakin come back to fucking Force Ghost, whatever you want. Yeah, you can but write in between the movies before my films. And that's where like the majority of the, the, the Star Wars fandom is. Is this kind of weird in the middle, like in the middle from the start of the first movie, the start of the fourth movie onwards, is just this like massive amount of information written by fans for fans that is awesome. Like some of it's really cool. Yeah. I'm not going to sit and go into it because it's one of the things I'm like, I don't want to be in this franchise. I just don't, like, I know where it goes. I know all this stuff doesn't count for anything anymore, it doesn't mean anything. So yeah. there's no point in memorizing all the cool events that happened to Vader in these spin-off films, because it doesn't really happen anymore, you know, we've decided that doesn't, it's, it's too much, you know, we need to kind of slim down the canon and make it accessible to the masses. Yeah. Only I think that's what they tried to do, and it didn't work, I mean, in my mind it didn't work, because they tried to make the, the canon easily accessible and easily digestible to the, the general public, and then the general public just went, hold on, why? where's all the cool shit we had, where's all the books, like, I remember reading a comic and at the end of it like it kind of it describes Luke Skywalker as moving so fast and wielding his white his, his white saber fuck me <laughs> his lightsaber so deftly that it looked like he had a trail of 14 lightsabers behind it like that's how strong he was and then it cuts to the last Jedi and he's like you need I'm going to destroy the Jedi the Jedi deserve to die you kind of screwed yourself there didn't you <laughs> you cut out all the cool shit that people wanted just to try and convince them that no we give you, we're going to give you new shit, and it's going to be better. I'm like, nah, I want you know old school Luke Skywalker that could wield that, wield the force like it was you know spirit bombs and shit like that. Well, after the the second film, there's a, a comic book about Vader, basically just uh, deciding he's bored, so I want to be hunted, and he he pays like an admiral of the fleet. He's like, hey, you like to go uh, big game hunting. Don't you? Yeah, yeah, I like going around, you know, hunt some weird animals, you know, make some interesting trophies. How could you hunt me? <laughs> get, get like ten of your best guys, drop me on a planet, drop you on a planet. Last man standing wins. Hmm? <laughs> that was awesome, boys. Like that's that's psychotic. That is insane. But at the same time, it kind of works and shows you a different side yep. of Vader. Shows you this weird, like the idea that. The, like there's all these officers, this this uh, kind of academy, these these born and bred gentlemen of war, and of course they like to go hunting at the weekends. Why wouldn't you? It's, a, it's a, the sport of kings, I guess. And then like all of a sudden it just like, hmm, could we combine those two together? <laughs> That's a weird, fun story to tell. But uh, you just yep. gotta kind of make it mediocre and oh, it's about the Skywalker family again. You know, you know half-ass some movies. I think at this point we're all fucking done with the Skywalker saga. The Skywalkers and. The rest of them, mm. you can just fuck off. And people keep trying to tempt you back in, like, "Come on, man, Mandalorian's so good." And I'm like, I just, uh, I know where it goes, though. <laughs> yeah, Mandalorian's really good. I will give, I will give them that. Mandalorian's pretty good, and purely because I like Ewan McGregor as Obi Wan Kenobi, I will be watching Kenobi when it comes out in a couple of weeks. But apart from that, <laughs> I think Star Wars movies, Star Wars films, I am completely done with. 
because I told you that I not recently, I was about to say recently, but within the past year, maybe two years during lockdown, I rewatched Rise of Skywalker and I was convinced J.J. Abrams and, and his writers were just on glue when they made that film because <laughs> none of it makes fucking sense. <laughs> I think you've just been confused and... sitting there going, are they doing a bit? <laughs> They must have been because every step of every important step of their journey they luck into. There's no planning, it just happens to go well for them. <laughs> well, if we, if we can segue away from this, because uh, I feel like bashing Star Wars is far too easy a topic. I'd like to talk to you about a film that uh, actually might be kind of familiar to you already uh, The Man Who Laughs, a 1927 film uh, that supposedly inspired the Joker from uh, the ah, yeah. DC comics. It's, uh, it's really strange just how good this movie is. Um, oh, right. I've been watching a lot of old films recently. Uh, a lot of uh, Nosferatu, uh, the original vampire movie. Um, I've got a lot of Buster Keaton movies, uh, on or like Buster Keaton shorts on uh, Blu-ray and stuff like that, just part of a collector's edition. Um, I've been stocking up on Hitchcock, and um, I've got movies by a guy called David Lean as well. David Lean? Uh, the name rings a bell, but directed I think the, of my head. Uh, that, one of the first adaptations of uh, Great Expectations. Uh, that's mm-hmm. probably the thing he's probably most known for. But somebody said no, his movies are really good. Um, also grabbed uh, there's it's a person called uh, Abel Grace Abel or something like that. Uh, no, it's, I can't remember. Grace a- Abel. I know Abel's the second the surname, um, mm-hmm. but it's a French director who was directing silent movies, including a five-and-a-half-hour version of Napoleon's Life. And oh, this, right. This was supposed to be one of six movies he wanted to make about Napoleon. Oh, uh, right. You didn't get it all in the first draft. It's five-and-a-half hours long. <laughs> okay, <laughs> what is the I matter with you? <laughs> yeah, I, I got that on Blu-ray. Um, it's it's going to take a while to sit down and actually go through that, because... That's a day. That's, that's a solid recommend. That's a solid chunk of your day. Uh, yeah. Just disappearing. And yeah, absolutely. It was like when I decided to watch... Uh, you ever watched a film called Gettysburg? Uh, no. It's... Uh, Jeff Daniels is in it. Uh, Stephen Lang from... You know, appropriately Avatar, given the what the trailer just dropped about eight hours ago or something, I think it was. Oh, okay, uh, what? Avatar 2 is Really, that? really good film, uh, but it's six hours long. Uh, and I once played the Gettysburg drinking game and was horribly drunk within the first three hours of the film and sober and hungover during the last. <laughs> you know it's bad when you wake up sobering up. You're like, oh, like yeah. you're awake and sobering at the same time. Like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> can it we, was, can yeah. we have another drink, please? Really good film, though. Really fucking good film. So it depends on the... The subject matter you can make six hour long films i think a six hour film about napoleon would be you'd have to really be into the source material mm. well, the thing is it's made in 1922 so oh, right. not gonna lie like the source material is kind of like relevant it's still kind of i mean i guess world war one or world war two might actually be the appropriate kind of length of time to go back to get to the same time frame as napoleon from that time yeah, it must be about that time, yeah. Because um, actually, the same person has another film. Um, oh, just turn, closed the window where I had it open. Um, it was... Uh, it was accused. It's a French anti-war film made in 1919, so obviously it worked. 
Um, and it's like it's one of again like the kind of masterpiece uh, uh moments of theater where I like, know this is the greatest anti-war film ever made, and I'm like, hmm, interesting. And it's made by the, the same person that did the the, uh, the Napoleon movie, so you know, it's maybe not just all hype. So uh, I've got that on order, uh, or I've actually got that as well. Where the hell is it? Uh, you can use Abel Gantz. That's who it is. I'm looking for. This is the name of the director for the Napoleon and Hughes. So yeah, oh. gonna be checking out a few of those films. Um, but I, I watched uh, the Man Who Laughs, and like, th- there's a level of competency I didn't expect there from like a film that is that old. But remember, this is where all the kind of rules that we take for granted now are written. Um, mm-hmm. and a lot of it seems a bit more uh, related to theater. At certain points, like we've been mm. to theaters to see productions and stuff like that. Um, I know that the did your church go to like theater stuff at all? Uh, no, the church that I used to go to back going back some a while anyway, going back to primary school at least like 17 odd years. Uh, would they wouldn't really go to the theater, they would. They put on their own kind of productions, but no, we we never really did shit like that. Uh, for some reason, the one of the churches that I went to was obsessed with taking us to like the Pantomime Theater every year. <laughs> so you go to a couple theater showings every year. You know, oh, interesting. Don't know why you're taking us here, but you know, it's <laughs> better than church. Fuck it. Uh, I'll, I'll take it. She takes the cinema. <sighs> I'm jealous. <laughs> Don't be. You start to go fucking church. <laughs> we went to the wrong church. Damn it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you might get eternal salvation, but you also about to go see some movies. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, they might be religious I'm movies. About. So, <laughs> but quick, quick tangent: Have you ever, you ever seen uh, modern Christian American movies? I didn't know that they were a thing. They are borderline insane. <laughs> I'll send you some videos. You have some shit to see. <laughs> Starting with the uh, the the franchise, God's Not Dead. <laughs> And it only goes downhill from there. Um, but anyway, like, the um, the Man Who Laughs is just really well made. There's, like, I say, it's tied to theatre in a way that kind of... All the sets look like you're supposed to be able to walk through them. It, I was expecting a lot of, like, painted backgrounds and stuff like that. Nothing like that. It all looks like a real place that they've just kind of borrowed for five minutes to film in. Um, but yeah, it's, it's about a, it's a revenge story, funnily enough. Um, mm-hmm. considering that I also watched Old Boy the same day, you know, the ultimate revenge story. Um, yeah. and it, it's about a guy who, uh, obviously is horribly mutilated by a surgeon. Um, he, as a child, uh, he was sold to these surgeons, because uh, his father was a traitor to the king. And then it's about that man becoming a kind of travelling, uh, actor, but more of a kind of freak show type of actor than anything else. And it's about all these plots to uh, either, you know, kill him or uh, kind of give him back some power so he can be used as a kind of political puppet um, and we can be used by the Queen and all that and just him falling in love with uh, the wrong woman or like a woman falling in love with him and unrequited love. Um, it's, it's really strange though because like all these old films, like old Hollywood films, you talk about like um, current like modern day uh, very kind of like female heavy movies. When you go back and watch the really old stuff, you can see why we needed, or why we need to change some of the rules as far as like women's agency in movies, because mm. there are some shit that goes on in older films. It's like that's not a woman; that's a prop. It's not a character; yeah. that's just a, a thing that's there to be ogled. Yeah, and that doesn't really go away until 
even some action films and stuff in the 80s, it's just like, you're not there for anything other than to look good yeah. and to be a plot point. And it's, Smile and yeah, be perky. A long way. That's your character. Yeah. It's, um, but like, for, there's always these, this look that young Hollywood women have, and it's just like a kind of a lilting gaze, like the head just tilted slightly up, the eyes are just sparkling. I think they actually tilt the head to get the lights to sparkle on the eyes. But there's always kind of a little bit of a tilt, sparkling eyes, and just kind of a vacant expression on their face. Yeah. In this one, at least it kind of makes sense because the main girl is blind. I go, okay, right. but that's that's part part of why they form a bond. Is that when you see the face that they have on for the man who laughs, it is horrifying, and you can't help but be kind of freaked out about it. And it is um, remember all the like, stuff like Joker gas from the Batman comics. Yeah, the uh, Joker toxin. Yes, it looks like that. Oh, right. Like so that's his permanent, permanent sort of rictus grin type of thing. Yes, rictus grin, that's the right, that's what I was looking for. And you can't help but be freaked out about it, and everyone can't help but laugh at it, but obviously because she can't see it, she sees him for who he really is, which is obviously a bit more complicated, uh, complex character, and you know he's a, a real human being. And that's kind of like how they kind of bond initially, and obviously it becomes like a, a love story. Hmm. And it's it's really good, but then like it gets to later scenes, and you have like hundreds of extras. Um, at one point, the the man who laughs is being chased by the guard, and you're like, "Oh, it's gonna be like ten dudes." It's at least a hundred people with pole arms running into a crowd of several hundred people trying to just fight everyone who just decided, "Fuck it, we're gonna fight for the man who laughs." He's our passion. He's not part of this whole conspiracy. Uh, to like uh, involving the crown, like he's not part of that world. He's part of our world. There are kind of shitty, grubby, you know, middle London in the fifteen hundred or the seventeen hundreds, uh, like England. Like he's our person. So a big fight scene yeah. erupts, and it's like there's a duel with them clashing swords on top of like a, a bridge. Well, there's like a couple hundred people fighting underneath. You're like, this is awesome. This is epic, on a scale I didn't expect from a movie from nineteen twenty seven. It's always good when you go back and you find a really good sort of older film. I think for me, the oldest film I watched recently was uh, Wayne's World 1, which is a <laughs> old uh, old comedy film arising out of uh, Saturday Night Live, Mike Myers' character, uh, Wayne, and Dana Carvey's character, Garth, who do this kind of like underground TV show. And that's actually what kind of made me really want to go to a gig, because just seeing them listening to sort of live music in a heavy metal bar just made me, I wanted to go and do that. But yeah, you know, I had to buy my time. Yeah, I kind of pang of jealousy. We actually need to look at what's coming up and maybe just plan a, a, a guy's night out. We'll yeah, some... we definitely need to because I'm not missing Ghost again. Yeah, I'm yeah. fucking not missing Ghost. <laughs> you done fucked up, boy. You done fucked up. <laughs> yeah, I done fucked up. But uh, yeah, like that, and um, also watched Old Boy as Zed. Um, first time yeah. watching it, I I I think I want to see it again before I like really go in depth on it but it's an amazingly good movie um i think i've only seen bits of the josh brolin spike lee remake so i I, I don't think i'd be properly equipped to talk about that film i i watched it through the um the your movie sucks review of Mm. it which is just going side by side being like this is what happens in this scene in the korean version and this is what happens in the shitty american remake and you're like okay (laughs) It's, it's like just bit by bit and it's just explaining what was chosen what was done what went wrong and how it was totally misinterpreted or like just totally pieces 
cut out of it. Um, like, of all things to take out, they take away the, the hallway scene, which is my first introduction to Old Boy, which was what I first remember seeing it. I was way too young, and it had just mm-hmm. kind of been leaked out that there was this weird Korean movie where a dude just, like, beats up, like, 20 guys in the hallway with a hammer, and you're like, I want to go see that. I want to see that. And you find it on YouTube yeah. as, like, a dodgy rip. And it scared me. I remember when I was young. I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, this, is, this isn't good. This isn't fun. <laughs> this is... This is brutal. This is a man actually hitting these people. Like, obviously, acting, but like, it looks way more real than it should. Yeah. Of like, if you can actually fight your way through a hallway with dudes with a hammer, like, what does that actually take? Or what does it take out of you? And it, watching it, you're like, yeah, that seems about right. It's not yeah. going to be fun. But uh, it's, I, I forgot how big things are. I was like, I, for some reason, I was, I was worried that they just spend too long in the first like, uh, like the fifteen years he spends locked in a room. It's over in like fifteen minutes, less than oh. that. I think it's less than that. For some, I think eleven minutes. All right, but it's a great sequence. And it's just a guy in a room slowly going insane. But the whole movie's really well done. Um, the flashback scene was really weird. Um, like, but in the right way. In that, like, it's not. It's weird in the way that it should be because. In the opening part of the Korean movie, um, he's drunk, and the editing was really kind of sloppy. It's kind of like quick cuts everywhere, and like it just takes yeah. things out, and like he's out of control, and it just cuts to different moments. You know, like, oh yeah, if you were drunk and trying to remember what happened, you wouldn't really remember. You just have like this little bit here, like I yell at the cop here, call him a cunt. I meet these people who are like, and they're night out, and they've been arrested too. And we hard cut to me just falling shirtless on the floor, trying to kick people in the face. You know, <laughs> like it'd yeah. just be these weird fragments of memory. And you're like, okay, that, that kind of works. But then when they go into, like, a dream, it's the same thing. Like, he just can't remember where he's supposed to go or what he's supposed to follow. So he just kind of sees things kind of darting around the corner of his vision. Oh, you yeah, know, I, I go here and he's trying to put it all back together before he remembers what he saw that set the whole set of motions and events. I won't spoil Old Boy for anyone because it's... to be You've got to see it to believe it in a weird way. Because the ending's phenomenal and insane in all the right ways. It was one of those films that, you know, it was always spoken about. Because I know uh, my older brother has seen it. And uh, he was he was always talking about, you need, you need to watch it. Like, fuck the remake. Like, genuinely, like, go out of your way to try and find a copy of the original. So it's always been on my fucking radar. Jesus. <laughs> the yawning is starting to get to him, people. Fuck. It's getting better. You know when you yawn so much, your jaw starts clicking and your eyes start watering? I had it once where my jaw locked in place. I, I can yeah, feel I've had that s- before. I had the sympathy pain there, mate. Fuck it. Alright, it's always been a film that's on my radar. Alright, you just uh, find a copy. And I think now that I've got a bit of free time about maybe in between job search and, and running miles around my house, uh, I think I'll probably pick up a copy and watch it. Yeah. After, we, after I get through those Satoshi Kon films, because can you get through those? Um, hmm, try to recommend. I'm trying to think if there was because thinking back through the movie, like, is there any way I could say I actually watch Old Boy first to understand Toshi Kon stuff afterwards? But no, they don't really ping off each other as much as I thought they would. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but it's definitely recommend. Uh, I would offer you my copy, but it's going to be passed around the family, and I'm like, watch the film. <laughs> Yeah, I was convinced. It's the same reason why I haven't offered you my copy of uh, the new Edgar Wright film because I'm making my brother watch it, and uh, there's a couple other people that I know that are want to watch it as well. So, yeah, 
I, I was convinced I talked to my sister-in-law about this. I was like, we've talked about this before. I, I just watched, I think I sent him, I just finally sat down and watched Old Boy. Such a great film. Like, almost like, kind of like, I'm so glad you recommended it. And she's like, what's Old Boy? What? What? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, what's Old Boy? <laughs> but no, it turns out we've never talked about that film. I've talked to somebody in my life about that film. I just don't know who. So, oh well. I've talked to you a lot about it. Hopefully it's... <laughs> it's, um... It's, it's a solid film. It really is really good. Pirates, it's way more wacky than I thought it was going to be at points. Uh, there's just stuff that gets added in. I'm like, who did that? Like, there's a, there's a zoom yeah. into a mirror to show another character's face, but it's it zooms so far. It's kind of funny. <laughs> it, <laughs> it seems like it would be in, like, a kind of 80s, like, kind of like Austin Powers type movie. Like, it looks like it belongs in the movie that Austin Powers is parodying, if that makes sense. Alright, so <laughs> Austin Powers was parodying James Bond, so it looks like it should be in a James Bond film. Yeah, I could see it in a James Bond movie, actually, yeah. It would work, <laughs> and I don't know why. It's so out of place, and it's, when it happens, when you see it, you're like, oh my god, that is so weird, why did they do that? But it's kind of funny. <laughs> I mean, if it works, it works, but I always thought Old Boy was kind of a, like, a thriller horror film. It is, um, but at the same time, I, I laugh at the wrong things, so... <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I, other than that, um, I really just, I watched the Wreck Armageddon film, um, I, I think we've talked about Wreck before, right, the Spanish zombie films? Yeah, yeah. I was so bored by this movie, I may have skipped through parts of it. <laughs> what is the, is, is there not one of the Wreck films that takes place in a wedding? That's the third one. First one is a, the gimmick of the tower- Wreck... Oh, the gimmick of the Wreck films is that there's always somebody recording the event, so you kind of have a, like a found footage of a zombie apocalypse happening. First film is a news reporter who's filming with a fire department team, and they go out to a building to deal with an old lady who's stuck in her house. So they're okay, firemen break down the door, they'll go in and check on her, and oops, she's a zombie. Second film... Yeah, and they go from like floor to floor through a block of flats, if I remember right. Yeah, well, she's at the top level of the flats, and... Like, yep. not, not very action-based. It's, like, the original kind of indie budget it has was kind of like, okay, you have, like, five firemen for five days. <laughs> That's what you've paid for. That's what you get. Um, second one is a group of SWAT members uh, showing up to the same block of flats as the first film and then dealing with what's inside. Oh, and so the, the, the aftermath. Yes. Very sure. interesting way of doing a film. Because, like, you see stuff from the first one, you're like, oh, that's what happened there. Oops. Because... Because uh, it's all found footage, you only get to see what the cameraman sees. So if the cameraman wasn't there for something, and you just kind of ominously leave a fight going on, or like a character left in distress, you never see what happens to them. You just kind of like, you have to kind of assume. And leaving you without actually showing you it, leaves it kind of all the worst to your imagination. Which is a really effective way to do the horror film. Showing it the next film is kind of impressive too because it's like, oh, we missed out on, oh, that's a lot of blood, oh shit, you know. <laughs> it leaves you with a different kind of horror. It's very, very effective. Yeah. Third one is more of a, again, I don't think it's supposed to be a comedy film. I laughed at it. Um, but the zombie outbreak. Remember happened. the third one? They just ditch the whole found footage thing as well. They start off the film with the found footage, then just go to positional camera. Yes. Uh, the first part of it is it's the zombie apocalypse at a wedding. And then the first half is obviously the wedding uh, photography footage. And then, yeah, you say, like, they ditch it to become more of a kind of traditional movie. I forgot that that was a kind of the, the conceit of the, the Wreck films. And 
just sat down to watch it and it wasn't until afterwards I was actually talking to someone else about it. I was texting my brother, I was like, yeah, the film's kind of mediocre, I skipped through parts of it, dialogue's bad, trying to make me care about characters you give two fucks about. Um, <laughs> I think the girl from the first film's back, I don't care. <laughs> All this garbage um, and they're on a ship, it's not really, it's kind of used, they're kind of effective in using uh, the ship setting because obviously you get the bulkhead doors so you can use those to lock zombies away, which is cool. Um, but at the same time, Everything you think could happen with bulkhead doors and zombies happens. <laughs> it's very predictable. But uh, I got to the end of it and was just like, thinking about it, I went, there was never a single POV camera shot. At all, in the entire fucking film. That's the gimmick. <laughs> Where's my, there's a little bit of uh, security camera footage, but the idea of cameras existing in this world is basically fucking non-existent. And I'm like, that's what this entire franchise is built on. It's a ma- pretty disappointing, not gonna lie. Because um, I, I really love the first couple of rec films, and the third one's fun. Like, it's it's one of things I'm like, okay, they, they kind of dropped the whole the quality of the franchise, but it paid off with a funny movie, so I don't care. Whereas this was just kind of bland and mediocre. So, yeah, I... Didn't enjoy Wreck Armageddon as much as I thought I would. It's a shame because it's been sat on my, uh, my my shelf for a while. I say it's one of those films that I'm going to get to it. It's there eventually. I'll get to it one day. And just got to it, sat down. And went, oh, that was, it was a waste of my time. Kind of wish I'd done something else with it. Hence why I watched Old Boy. So, yeah. yeah. If nothing else, it got me to watch Old Boy. Yeah. Uh, where do you want to go from here? I'm struggling to find topics. <laughs> I've never really watched a much new talk about my moon night if you want but yeah uh yeah i suppose i could talk about about moon night uh i don't have a segue for that go for it <laughs> ah, fuck it. Uh, so new disney plus show uh and a kind of weird uh choice rather than going with you know let's take an established character and put him into the mcu they just plucked a random superhero in my opinion and chucked him into the mcu they must have some reason for it you know Kevin Feige always always has a plan. He's probably planned it the next 15 years of his life. Yeah. So uh, the latest Disney Plus show to hit before, uh, before the next big film is uh, Moon Knight, starring Oscar Isaac uh, as a titular character who's, I'll just say it, not in it all that much. Uh, the, the main character, Moon Knight, barely fucking in it. They do the basic minimum to justify calling it Moon Knight by having Moon Knight in it for all of about five minutes out of six total episodes. So is, Which, you when know. you say like Moon Knight's not in it, do you mean like the character in total of Moon Knight or like Moon Knight with the mask on? Isn't like Moon Knight with the, the costume, the armour and the, the hood and stuff on? Right. Barely in it. That's a shame. Is it's, it? Yeah, because Moon Knight's a really cool character if done right. I just don't think they gave... Moon Knight the the right amount of time. I think it could have benefited from at least a couple more episodes. Or it could have benefited from tightening up a couple more episodes, because they spend a lot of time uh, dealing with... Because at one point, uh, something happens to Mark Spector, they deal with that for two episodes straight. Like, okay, that could have been sped up, because we didn't need to spend that long dealing with their shady past. Wait, how many episodes is there total for the season? Six. And they spent two of it on one thing. Yeah, they spent two of it on the exact same thing. Huh. Again, people are saying that those are the best episodes, but I just remember being quite bored during those uh, those two episodes. 
I mean, if you have something massive happen to the character, you can justify it. I mean, damage the the bit that precedes it is you know pretty big, is is quite damaging to the character. I'm trying to be as spoiler free as possible because, mm. as much as I didn't really enjoy Moon Knight as much as uh, I thought I would, I don't really want to spoil it for anybody else because it is a lot of people other than me are probably thinking Moon Knight's the best character. I'm going to watch this and love him. Okay, I won't spoil it for you, but. Uh, for me, Moon Knight was a weird choice, just purely because I don't think anyone really knows who Moon Knight is. It's like when they brought in Shang-Chi and the Eternals, clearly Marvel have just built up so much credibility with people that they're just taking swings. Yeah. I kind of think that's what they're doing with Moon Knight. And I'm not saying that the show as a whole doesn't work. There are some points of it that are really quite good, like the uh, Mark Spector has a Personality disorder, multiple personality, multiple personality disorder. So he's got his two, his main sort of personality is Mark Spector. That is the main character, or one of the main characters. But you're introduced to his sort of backup personality, uh, Stephen Grant, who's this kind of foppish uh, gift shop assistant that works in a museum in London. And uh, you kind of see part of the show through his eyes. You see part of the show through Mark's eyes. But then you kind of of course, when you have warring personalities, of course there has to be the kind of the peace moment where they, uh, where they, you know, make amends with each other and you know realize that they can have a timeshare in their own body type of thing. Maybe we're not so yeah. different after all. We're the same guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did find that very weird. I was like, oh, we maybe we can get along. You are in the exact same body. Is that not weird to any of you? <laughs> yeah. um, and then the th- is there a third personality, or is it just two? There is a third personality, but that is a. Uh, that's not confirmed until the end. That's the only spoiler I'll give you. Right, okay. There is a third personality, uh, Jake Lockley, who is. I mean, he's the. You can you go through the show, whereas Stephen's the kind of. The careful, timid one. Uh, Mark is more the kind of, you know, the badass, you know, killer type of character. But then you realize that the third personality is the real bloodthirsty killer. Jake Lockley, who appears at the end. And uh, yeah, we only see him for about all of five minutes in total in that episode. So we'll, hopefully if they do a season two, I'll get to see more of it. But uh, I was watching an interview with uh, Ethan Hawke, who plays the series bad guy, Arthur Harrow. He was talking about how uh, he plays his character very calm and collected and you know well thought out purely because... Uh, Moon Knight is played as a very broken, disjointed character, so they kind of complement the hero being a bit, you know, not all there, a bit disjointed. He plays his character very well put together, very calm and collected. And I thought, you know, that's that kind of shines through, but ultimately, he doesn't really prove to be much of a villain, in my opinion. He doesn't really do anything villainous until maybe even the last part of the film, but the last part of the series. But ultimately, I think they rushed it a bit too much, so he just kind of goes, oh, I'm a bad guy, oh, whatever, can stop. <laughs> oh, no, I had a weakness. <laughs> I mean, I'd recommend watch it, because I don't think Moon Knight's done. I think Moon Knight's either going to get a second season, or Moon Knight is going to show up in multiple different uh, MCU projects, because having Moon Knight as part of the MCU, opens up the door to kind of supernatural aspect. 
like with Blade, with the Black Knight, with uh, I've heard that they're going to bring in Ghost Rider soon, so that can it opens it up to <laughs> maybe <yeah>. Morbius. <laughs> I mean, if they want to go and kill Morbius, I think Marvel would be happy about that. <laughs> I wonder if that becomes a, a bit in the, de- in the next Deadpool movie. <laughs> Deadpool just Probably. shows up and beats the fuck out of Jared Little. <laughs> you were warned. <laughs> I want to see that now, please. Ryan Reynolds, make it happen. <laughs> They're writing uh, Deadpool 3 just now, so. I think that's a, that's that a possibility, yeah. Yeah. Definitely be getting that soon. So, Moon Knight is kind of wasted potential. Does that, is that fair? Yeah, wasted potential. It would be better if they gave it another few episodes, and it would be much better if and when, if or when they give it another season. Well, I was going to ask that. Is that six episodes seems a bit short, even for Disney nowadays with streaming platforms being kind of what they do what they want, really. Um, yeah. I was going to ask, do you think that this is like a split season where it turns out, oh, by the way, Midnight Season 1 Part 2 starts in three weeks' time? Usually Marvel are really, really good at teasing people back. Because you remember at the end of Civil War, it said Spider-Man will return. Uh, all that kind of shit. At the end of Loki, it's... It, they put up saying uh, Loki will return in season two. There was none of that at the end of Midnight. Hmm. So I don't know. It'd be stupid to leave it at season two. Uh, leave it at season one. It needs a season two, in my opinion. But from what I've heard through interviews with the cast, I don't think it is actually going to happen, which is a shame because it, it does need a bit of fleshing out. How do they do the, the, the armor, the character, or the kind of cloth? Because it's, it's all white, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's all CGI. All the transformations are done CGI, but I think they actually did have a costume. Okay. I just uh, and they and I th- <laughs> like the hood and the the mask. I think that's all CGI as well. Because uh, again, another tiny little spoiler. Uh, there's two different versions of Moon Knight depending on who's in control of the body. Right. Okay. So there's Moon Knight, which is Mark Spector, and then there's Mister Knight. When it's Stephen Grant, because uh, when Stephen's in control of the body, he starts, you know, communicating, talking to himself, and saying, uh, you know, how do I, how do I activate my powers? What do I do? And he says, well, you need a suit. So he takes that as a just a regular business suit. And his version of the moon, his version of Moon Knight, has got like the cool business suit and the 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 mask without the hood. So, uh, yeah, it, and how quickly they snap back between those two when they, he he switches personalities. They couldn't really do it practically. So they could do the things like, oh, right, they've changed costume, it's CGI, but if they stick in with one character for a long time, it's probably more practical. Yeah. And they just CGI in the mask. Huh. Because I was a worried... A lot that... of CG in this, uh, this series. A lot of CG. Oh, that's not a good sign. It's, it's well done. It's Marvel well done CG, but it's still... There is some uncanny valley shit. Yeah, I was just I was worried about the uh, all white suit because I don't even remember that time Jaden Smith had an all white Batman costume. I was yeah. worried it'd just be that. They do a really good job of kind of muddying it up, making it look not pure, clean, straight out of the box iPhone white. Mm. Okay, that's at least something. Yeah. Apart from that, it's another kind of. I don't want to say failure because most of the Disney Plus shows have been watchable. It's another kind of 
let's get something out on Disney Plus type of show. There's not a lot of new things to it. It does do one thing really well that n- no other Disney Plus show has done, and that is be self-contained. With all other Disney Plus shows, you can feel them winking at the camera just going, remember when I fought Thanos? Wink. Yeah, I suppose it, this is the first one to not have an Avengers backstory or pre-existing like, part of that universe. This is yeah. beginning its own journey into that. Yeah. Okay, that's that's a fair point, actually. That, yeah, I didn't consider that this is supposed to be your intro. Like, this is Moon Knight 101, you know? Yeah. And for a lot of people, it will be their intro to the character because, as I said earlier, no one knows who Moon Knight is. Not even himself. Exactly. <laughs> I those fuckers rattling around in there. <laughs> I was going to say, actually, that might be a, car, a, a plot point that, you know, there are several midnights <laughs> you might not know about. Whoops. But it will be. It's not a character that I'm entirely familiar with either. I've heard of Moon Knight in. Uh, there was no Xbox 360 PS3 game called Spider Man Web of Shadows. And Moon Knight appears as a kind of. gives you a bunch of side quests. And I think you can fight him if you go a certain route in the game as well. But that's all that I know about uh, Moon Knight. Originally, he was introduced as a bit of a kind of Batman pistic. You know, he was a billionaire. Then they kind of changed that to he was a mercenary who was near death and contacted by the the voice of a god or to serve him, that kind of thing. I was going to ask, what's roughly his power level? Uh, he's, he's your typical kind of... He has... I think he has super strength and he's got super regeneration. Like He's got super endurance type of thing, but I think he's just not quite as good Captain America level. Like He's fairly strong, but not superhumanly Hulk level strong. Okay. That's not so bad. I was worried for some reason we're talking like, you know, he'd be like the right hand of God or something like that. You know, he's vengeful deity or something like that. Oh, yeah. He is the avatar for a vengeful God, but he's not he's not supremely powerful. Like he, His armor takes a lot of his hits, but he can still take damage. Well, at least that's something. You know, too many gods running around these days. Yeah. Uh, right, other than that, I don't have much to talk about. Uh, maybe Elden Ring? I genuinely have nothing else. I'm scrambling. I think of shit to talk about. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll maybe just do a quick thing about, oh, I'm playing Elden Ring, and then yeah. we'll wrap it up. Yep. Uh, right. Do you have a showstopper? Oh, no, a showstopper. Uh, elevator pitch? No. Uh, I don't have an elevator pitch. We'll do uh, Beast in Black, Broken Survivors then. I mean, speaking of vengeful deities, um, I've been playing Elden Ring, uh, the From Software you game. and half the country, or half <laughs> the planet. I'm actually kind of glad we took a bit of a break, um, because every podcast I listened to was literally just, I, I, I tried Elden Ring, and uh, I don't know what to do with the rest of my life. I, this, this is what I do now, and this is all I want to play, all I'm ever going to play, and it has been a month solid, at least two months maybe in some places, where that's all anyone's really talked about, and I, it's kind of like, at least I don't have to explain my addiction because I already like these games. Um, I've played through all the Dark Souls mainline games. I have not played Bloodborne or uh, Sekiro. Um, but yeah, I am a big yeah. fan of FromSoft's uh, Souls games and Elden Ring is the spiritual successor to those. And yeah, ever, everything else you've heard about this game from everyone else that plays it is correct. It is a fucking amazing game. I'm addicted. Um, my first character... I think I actually just called him Jimmy. Uh, was uh, like 110 hours 
of gameplay to complete it once. Easy. Uh, I'm still playing with that character because I have a few bosses to beat, and yes, it is Melania uh, or Melania or whatever her name is, uh, the the one with the the wings and the the, the samurai sword. Uh, she's a total pain in the ass, and I fucking love her. <laughs> it's a horrible relationship I've developed with this cartoon character. Um, it is, it, it is a very deep immersive game that you could spend hours on, and then you see the people speedrunning it, and I'm like, oh man! Like me, and my brothers started playing it, and it started with me, and then my brother was like, I'm not sure. I'll maybe try and get it. Maybe I'll, I'll... cause he actually he got uh, COVID on his birthday. <laughs> Or around his birthday. So he got all his money, like he got a bunch of money from people in cash because he was going to go spend it on tattoos or something like that. So he went to have it in cash to pay for the tattoos in cash and was like, oh, I really wish I'd spent, I'd got some of it in like a digital thing so I could get the game and I could play this because uh, I have to wait till payday now. And I, I said, shut up and take my money and sent him the money for the game. <laughs> <laughs> So it went from me ranting and raving about how this awesome game I was playing to my brother joining me. The other brother in the chat was like, I have no idea what any of you people have said. Because we were just sending out of context stuff about uh, Turtle Popes and uh, the woman with like who throws the moon at you and all, <laughs> all this stuff. We're just sending the stuff that seems like a fever dream. <laughs> and he just sat in the corner being like, what are you talking about? I don't understand any of these references. <laughs> is, is this my fault? I don't know what to do. And um, we we got him into it. We we talked about it so much. He said, "You know what? I'm gonna play this game. I can give. I can like, if I don't like it, I'm gonna send it back." <laughs> like, okay, you're gonna like it. Just start playing because he, he hates those games. He just never got into them, like the way we did. And uh, just watching him go, man, this this first boss really kicking my ass. Oh my god, I won. Oh my god, like that. That's the the one thing that has been consistent across all of our playthroughs. Is the bosses kick her ass? Doesn't matter which one. Eventually, one of them would just have your number, and the bosses kick your ass, and then you learn to beat them, and then the feeling you get afterwards is like after you bust a nut. There, there is no other way to describe what happens to your head after beating an Elden Ring boss. There is just a moment of just sheer joy and perfection. That was just all the all the scrambling, scrambling all the hard work you had to put in. Uh, to actually win the fight against the boss and then just the feeling afterwards when they're like it's done it's over and it's just those like couple seconds before you realize it's on to the next boss is just fantastic and it's um it's been a, a joy to explore it and just to kind of walk around through the the world I've, i think i've put a screenshot or two on twitter just of like my gameplay footage mm. i'm playing it on like medium settings and it's gorgeous um i'm hoping at some point, I can upgrade my graphics card, and at that point, I'm going to play it with you know the big boy settings on. Holy shit, this game is going to be gorgeous to look at with like you know the full settings or like tweaked settings. Yeah. Because um, right now on medium, it still looks great, but you know there's a lot of stuff in there, a lot of details, a lot of polish that is going underappreciated. And then it can be it's good, but it can be better. Yeah, and it can be better with like a few button pushes in the settings, which is a massive. Uh, like improvement for me, but the um like then she speedrunners play it and they're like okay we've beat the game in seven minutes they're like what? <laughs> yeah, I've seen one of those. The guy backflips through a floor or something like that and completes the game in two minutes forty seconds. And you're like fuck it off. <laughs> but yeah, it's that's the good thing is it, it you know it's an RPG, it's a role playing game. You should be able to experience it in different ways. I 
waiting for the gut spills, you know. Feeling my berserk mood right now. Might as well go for the, the berserk character. Um, and then having my brother go through and his playstyle is much more like kind of half magic, half sorcery, or half sword, half sorcery based. And mm-hmm. then my other brother's going dexterity build. So we're playing the same game three different ways. And just getting to talk and confer notes and stuff like that. And it's it's everywhere. Like it's I've got people at work who uh, have been playing it. I've actually got people at work who have had their partners complain to me that their partner's <laughs> spending too much time on the game or on certain bosses. And she's like, just teach him how to beat that boss. I can't fucking stand it anymore. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, I'll send them some notes. <laughs> Have you tried this, 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 this? And he comes back to me two days later. I beat it, yeah. But the thing is, I've never got to be part of the community that shares the knowledge of the game to other people. I'm always on the receiving end of like trying to figure out how things work because I, I, I'm not good at these games. That's what I, I really stress to people. I'm not good at them. I'm just stupid enough to keep bashing my way through them. Mm. So I, when I have my playthroughs, it's it's very kind of brute force. Like I've, um. The, the tree sentinel. I actually made a video about the tree sentinel where I like I just get kicked in the face repeatedly. I think I show about forty deaths to the same boss. That's like not even a. Th- that might be about a third of the footage I have. I genuinely think I died to this boss about a hundred times, and that's just my playstyle. It's just sheer force of will. I am going forward. The boss will not stop me. Which is why I'm hitting like massive tree or like massive uh, roadblocks, like um, Melania at the the, the Hagrid tree is just insanely talented, and I just can't beat her. But I'm gonna get there one day, and the feeling afterwards is why I play the way I do. It's just for that kind of dopamine rush of ah, you win, <laughs> you know. So I'm, I've got a couple options. I may keep playing with Jimmy, as this kind of uh, fake version of guts. Or I may go back, or I might start a new character, or I might play New Game Plus, because um, I want to try out the dexterity builds, because, you know, there's the meta and the way people break things down seems to suggest that, you know, I'm definitely playing the game wrong. I'm, I'm not even playing with all the tools at my disposal. I'm not good with those tools either, so, you know, I, I get the feeling it's a much easier game for me that I could play, you know, within the same disc, essentially. Yeah. I should also say that I've never played a a Soulsborne game at all. I played a bit of uh, Dark Souls One, and I couldn't get past the main, a- the first area, because my playstyle doesn't really lend well to those type of games. So I got my ass kicked continually. But Elden Ring did kind of at least interest me in a in a lore setting. Then I had to just keep reminding myself, don't play this game. You're going to spend too long <laughs> trying to beat a game that you're never going to be good at. So just don't buy it. Yeah. I get the feeling people are going to start this game feeling pretty fit and healthy and good about themselves and leave on like heart medication it's it's that type of game that's going to just really stress people out but I, if, if you're up for it I'm more than happy to get, let you play on my PC for a bit if you're ever down here I'm more than happy to give you a, at least a demo run of it but if you don't think it's going to be for you I wholeheartedly get it Um, this is yeah. Um, like is... I said, I've I've tried Soulsborne games and I don't have the the patience to learn all the intricacies and all the boss patterns and everything like that. I prefer to just headbutt my way through things. And I get it. It's it's one of the things of like no one is ever gonna get to appreciate everything you like the same way you do. So don't really force it on anyone. But speaking of forcing things we like on other people, 
Uh, it's time for elevator pitch, and uh, funnily enough, yep. we have a joint elevator pitch, and it's one we've already sent to many of you uh, via Twitter. Yep. Um, I think we're going with uh, Beast in Black's video for Broken Survivors off their album uh, Dark Connection. That was uh, my album of the year for last year, and uh, yeah, they finally made the, the the music video they wanted for this one, and it's awesome. Dom, you want to talk about it some more? Yeah, it's these uh, might a joint elevator pitches because I. After listening to last year's podcast, or recording last year's podcast, or end of the year podcast, that I'd listened to the Beast in Black, then uh, Colin sent me the video for uh, Broken Survivors, and I was like, alright, okay, I've heard the song before, but just somehow putting it to Berserk, and it scratched, the, like, scratched a weird part of my brain, I was like, okay, I dig this all the morning, because you now get the meaning behind the words, you know, you now get alright, clearly they're trying to talk to a certain I tell you a certain story, and uh, the the video itself is not a, you know it's not set to clips of Berserk. It's just set to really really high quality Berserk art, mm-hmm. and it's yeah, it's only what two minutes, two and a half minutes, something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's not a long song, but it is a good song that you will have and repeat a few times. Yeah, if you happen to have read the Berserk uh, story or watched it at any point, you know listening to the song even without the visuals, this is guts and Casca's song. Yeah, which is a shame in a very dark and sad way. <laughs> yeah, but that's the way we would have wanted it. You know, um. So yeah, uh, you'll find the link. Well, I actually post the link this time because last week I should apologise. I forgot to put the link for uh, Teleporty's, uh channel in the actual video or in the actual uh, episode description. So it didn't go out to everyone. So I put it on our Twitter page, or you can just go to YouTube.com and look for the channel Teleporty. And uh, yeah, I will definitely, definitely, definitely put the Beast in Black Broken Survivors link in this one. Oh my god, I'm going to fuck it up. There we if go. If he doesn't get it, I will. <laughs> well, if I do fuck it up, you can always reach out to talk to us on Twitter at gibberfish, or you can reach out to us at gibberfishpodcast at gmail.com. Um, in the meantime, I've been Colin Grimm. I've been Dom Anderson. And we've been talking gibberfish.